Good morning. Welcome to Gary and Guns. Obviously, this is not Gary Nolan. This is Scott Van Kirk. I'm filling in for Gary. I believe he's over in Kansas City giving a speech at the State Libertarian Party Convention. We're going to lead off this morning with a segment that was recorded earlier this week on Gary's weekday show. Uh, Dave Rowland was on talking about uh, recent court cases involving our Second Amendment Protection Act. And here's Dave. The United States Justice Department sued Missouri on Wednesday, seeking to stop the state, and this is the quote, from enforcing a bill that it passed last year that declared several federal, federal firearms laws invalid. I don't know what bill they're talking about. So I'm going to check with Dave Rowland to find out if we passed a bill that said federal firearms laws can be uh, invalidated. Uh, Dave, um, what laws, what, what bill, what, where did we do this? Well, okay, so the Second Amendment Preservation Act does indeed include uh, a section where the General Assembly says that they consider these federal firearms laws to be invalid to the state. Now, that yeah, but that mean doesn't mean they're invalid. Exactly, exactly. The General Assembly is not a court. It does not have the authority to definitively say these laws uh, violate the Constitution and therefore cannot be enforced. Um, this was just the General Assembly expressing its opinion, which it's allowed to do. Um, and, and so it's bizarre that the U.S. Department of Justice has latched on to this. Uh, they also really hate the part of SEPA that says, oh, by the way, courts have a, res a responsibility to uphold citizens' Second Amendment rights. As if that's some kind of controversial statement. That what, what, What's the alternative? Courts are not obligated to uphold Second Amendment rights? I, it just... It, it's kind of laughable from my perspective that the Department of Justice has latched onto this and is arguing that it poses a, a constitutional problem. But here we are. Uh, the DOJ, uh, I think, saw the writing on the wall. I think they recognized, as we discussed last week, that uh, it seems like the Missouri Supreme Court is not going to rule the Second Amendment Preservation Act unconstitutional, at least for the time being. And so now the U.S. is trying to go into the federal court system and get the result that, um, that it doesn't look like they're going to get anytime soon from Missouri courts. So you've got attacks at the federal level and the state level. They're both going to yeah. be hearing the same... Well, we don't know. So so this is actually a, a interesting little twist to the law uh, that listeners may not be aware of. Courts have generally held that if there is an ongoing proceeding in state courts, then the federal courts should just kind of stay out of it. Uh, it's a doctrine called abstention. We ran into this with uh, our O'Fallon impeachment case, because when we filed our federal suit, they still had the impeachment proceeding at that time going on in O'Fallon, and the court initially said, well, you know, we think we should probably stay out of this as long as there's this ongoing state court proceeding. Well, with SEPA, especially if 
my prediction is accurate and the Missouri Supreme Court doesn't throw out the municipality's lawsuit altogether, but rather just kicks it back down to the trial court for further consideration, um, then you've got this ongoing state proceeding that presents exactly the same legal questions that the United States is trying to raise in this federal lawsuit. Um, So I think that there's a, a pretty strong argument that the federal court just shouldn't get involved until there's resolution from the Missouri state courts. Uh, but, but who knows? Um, there are judges that sometimes decide, well, no, I want to go ahead and take on this issue. Um, and uh, it may be that Judge Lowry, who I believe is the judge who's been assigned this case, may go ahead and decide she's going to rule on the merits, even though the issue is still pending in, in front of Missouri courts. I'll be curious to see if that happens. At some point, uh, is it, doesn't it almost have to end up in, in federal court? Um, yes and no. Um, not necessarily, actually. So this is primarily an issue of state law. Um, the General Assembly has passed a law. The Missouri courts need to interpret it. Um, and then... Arguably, once Missouri courts have interpreted what the state law means, there's room for the federal courts to step in and rule on whether that is constitutional, whether the law itself is constitutional. Um, I'm not certain that there's any basis for the federal courts getting involved, ultimately. Um, Because what's going to happen, I believe, is that when Missouri courts are called upon to say, well, okay, Does this law actually prevent state courts from enforcing federal laws? No, it does not. So, well, that takes one, that kicks one leg out from under the chair that the U.S. government's trying to to sit in, right? Um, I think that as you start to see Missouri courts interpreting these other provisions of the law, like the preamble where the General Assembly just basically restates the idea of federalism, I think Missouri courts are gonna say, well, yes, it's perfectly normal and fine for the General, General Assembly to make a non-binding statement of its opinions in this regard. There's no constitutional violation here. Um, and, and I think that as the Missouri state courts interpret and apply SEPA, it will remove more and more basis upon which a federal lawsuit could be brought. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So so it is possible that ultimately it ends up in federal courts, but you only actually really belong in federal courts if there is an active case or controversy about how this law is being applied. And that's been the weak point of the municipality's lawsuit against the state. I think it's a weak point of the United States lawsuit against the state. They just don't have any actual facts where federal officers are saying, oh, well, this actually stops me from applying federal law because SEPA, in fact, does not do that. So they won't have any facts that they can point to uh, that says that it's actively prohibiting federal officers from enforcing federal law. Um, So what it's all, I think, going to boil down to is that, look, the only active parts of SEPA control who these state and local law enforcement agencies can employ, right? And if they choose to employ somebody who has violated SEPA, then there's a penalty that applies. That's all it does. 
And that does not present a supremacy clause violation, which is the primary federal um, federal argument. Um, and I don't think it violates any of the provisions of the state constitution either. So, um, you know, we're, we're still going to be watching this for months, Gary. Um, as I tell people all the time, they don't realize how slow litigation moves. It's actually astonishing how quickly this case got to the Missouri Supreme Court. I think the Missouri Supreme Court is probably going to hand down a ruling sooner than it would for most ordinary cases. Ordinary cases can take four to five months to get an opinion yeah, out. But I, I, and I was thinking, I was speculating in my mind that uh, with these law enforcement agencies th th believing, r rightly or wrongly, that their hands are tied, I would think the court would want to untie their hands and, and deal with this quickly. Um, well, and that's why the Missouri Supreme Court expedited the case. That's part of why it was put on a fast track. But, but even when you've got a motivated judiciary, the wheels of litigation turn slower than you might expect. So I would be very surprised if there's any sort of final resolution on either of these cases, the state-level case or the federal case, uh, before this fall, and it, it would likely, I think, probably be into next year before there's any sort of a final resolution to either of those cases. All right, I've got a question for you, uh, and, and it'll it'll recall it'll require speculation because none of us really knows for sure. But there's a part of me that believes, and I'm wondering if you if you've encountered this or if you think so, that the Supreme Court, and I'm I'm just going to look at. Uh, uh, the legislation that says I can't have a fully automatic weapon. Um, or or even, you know, the Social Security uh, can, can exist as a tax. Would the federal court say to themselves, you know, this really is not constitutional. This does violate the Constitution. But if I rule the way I should... It will create so much tumult that I'm just going to let it go. Do they do that? It does sometimes happen, yes. Um, I, I think that that's really what we saw with Chief Justice Roberts in the Obamacare case back in 2012. Um, I think he, he put his finger to the wind and he felt like uh, it would cause immense upheaval if they struck down Obamacare, and that's why he backed out of what would have been the majority opinion striking it down. Uh, but it's not just him either. Uh, Justice Scalia had the opportunity to uh, help undo almost a century of bad precedent on uh, the 14th Amendment. Basically, what the court has done for the last century is it has almost intentionally misinterpreted the meaning of part of the 14th Amendment. Um, and they had the opportunity to fix it. And basically Scalia threw his hands up in, in an opinion that he wrote and said, well, yeah, this is pretty clearly an incorrect reading, but it's what we've been doing for the last century, so we're just going to let it go. Um, so I think that there very, are, there very clearly are circumstances in which individual judges make that calculus um, I don't think you're likely to see it written into opinions very frequently, though. Boy, they, sh they really should have no right to do that. They should be doing what is right, not is uh, not what is right in their own minds. 
That's not what they're there for. Doing what's right, not what's expedient. And uh, we want to thank Dave Rowland for appearing this week on the show. Uh, uh, Dave's a friend of mine, and I'm constantly encouraging him to get on the radio or get a podcast going. He always tells me he's too busy. But he uh, he's our our go-to guy when we start to talk about especially the litigation um, that revolves around various laws here in the state of Missouri as well as at the national level that are constantly being char- challenged by the anti-gunners. Uh, in studio today with me, again, I'm Scott Van Kirk, filling in for Gary Nolan, is Jordan and Kelsey from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Got it right on the first try. And uh, we got a number of things to talk about today. Um, maybe even some stuff that we planned. Probably not too much of that, though. <laughs> <laughs> but we are going to have a lot of fun. We'll be right back. You're listening to 93.9 The Eagle. And we're back. This is Scott Van Kirk. I'm neither gifted nor any type of a guru. As I dropped my papers on the floor. Uh, joining me this morning is uh, Jordan and Kelsey from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Uh, morning, guys. Good morning. morning. How are you guys doing? Great. <laughs> Why are wow. you looking at me? Oh, the tough questions have already started. I never know what you might say. Wow. Well, hey, I'm... so I mean we can we can continue with the you know the high level <laughs> questioning and ambush radio. So Jordan, um, if we want to tick off Kelsey and it involves a revolver, what is that story? Oh, she absolutely loves to watch people when you when you have the cylinder open, just uh-huh. go ahead and flip that cylinder back. Just oh don't sure. Do that. See, it just kind of makes her cringe a little bit, yeah. almost kinda of like Bleh. kind of the old seventies cop show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of bad habits. Thank you, Hollywood, for that kind of stuff. Please. Just, just, please don't do that. It will break things. Do that on your nice Model 29. She absolutely loves it. Like people that dry slide a 1911. Please don't let your slide slam forward on a 1911 without loading around. Oh, and that just came out of nowhere. There was a just a just a little comment uh, while we were listening to the first segment of the show with Dave Roland on, and uh, I was like, hmm. I should inquire more about <laughs> Believe it or not, that actually started in the parking lot. <laughs> I think that's right. He I think started it early with it today. <laughs> um, so, boy, what do we start? What's new? Yes. Not what's sitting on the table, because we're going to talk about that in the next hour. <laughs> you like how I look um, down. It's like, oh, here, this. <laughs> um, well, the first thing he's always going to ask us about is... Ammo. Do ammo. we have any ammo? Now, see, I wasn't going to ask you about that. Kelsey, it's a lab. <laughs> It's actually, no, this is now a good time to ask about that. So, Kelsey, yes. how was the ammo? <laughs> Much better. Um, I know we say that every time, but seriously, it's it's a vast improvement. Sure. Even over three or four weeks ago. Okay. Um, we still can't get everything. You know, hunting ammo is still iffy at best, but we've had 243 on the shelf. We've had 300 wind mag on the shelf. We've had 300 short mag on the shelf. And I haven't had short mag in two years. So, we're getting, we're getting there. Turkey rounds, we've got quite a bit right now, but it is going fast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, turkey season is still a little ways away. We are limiting. We're not letting everybody buy cases anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but uh, you definitely need to come in and uh, get your turkey rounds. I think we've got four, fives, and sixes all still yes. in stock. But um, three inch and three and a half, it's all 12 gauge right now. Yeah. We're hoping the 20 shows up <laughs> soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are hoping. But yeah, we've got all that in. You've got. We got to the point where we're starting to turn down some nine millimeters, oh, some wow. forty cal and stuff. Um, some of it's because 
some of it just got too pricey, and we're mm-hmm. like, we're just not going to play that yet. Uh, probably where it's headed. There's probably nothing we can do about it. But we've also just got enough that uh, it, that's good. And that, that hopefully will drive down. Because by the time we get enough, you're hoping that the, the big guys that buy millions of rounds at a time are starting to get enough. And hopefully those prices will come down. Not, probably never to where they were, but, but come down maybe 10%. That would be awesome. And they are starting to drop a little bit. You see a dollar a box coming off on some things. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's a significant improvement, I think, from the last time the three of us were in studio <laughs> together, which was at least a year, maybe longer ago, yeah. when all you had was uh, 28 gauge. Yes. yes. Uh, and we're out of 28 gauge. <laughs> we are officially out well, of 28 yeah. gauge. Well, well, any potential advertisers, there you go. Right. I talked the heck out of that 28 gauge a year ago, that's and right. boom, it's gone. <laughs> There's where you see your results. Feel free to contact the marketing department here at 93.9 The Eagle. <laughs> eight, eight, 18 months, 10 boxes, gone. <laughs> boom. I saw Sold it like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, so we've seen we've seen a little bit more creep because um, obviously the manufacturers were making what we call the the NATO classics nine forty five and five five six. So we're starting to see some more expansion from there. You've seen some twenty gauge, mainly hunting rounds, sporting rounds. So we've seen mostly twelve gauge 12 as far as the shotgun stuff, yeah. which is okay. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I would like to see some more twenty. I'd like to see some four ten. Four ten. Yeah. Okay, but just because you love beggars the four, can't be choosers. Do you love the four ten? Well, I'm just tired of hearing people ask for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's one of those. I'm, I'm tired of telling people no. It yeah. really bothers me. Sure. Like as a retail person, mm-hmm. it, it I'll be unable to help them. Correct. Yeah. And it's gotten better. There are some things I can get. I've gotten some special order guns for people that we haven't been able to get. So. It's better, but it's still. We did. We got our first Marlin. In. We did get one of the new Ruger She's Marlins. Starting to see It's some already of that. gone. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. It is no longer in the building. Which uh, what model was that? Um, so it's what they call the SBL. It's a 1895-4570 in oh. a stainless laminate. Um, a few differences from the old one. This one's actually threaded. Okay. So you can put a muzzle brake, sure. a suppressor, if you find one. Well, we are seeing this, the surge of the tactical lever. <clears throat> exactly. And no, not, and that, And I'm not opposed to it. No, so Marlin, <laughs> before they were no longer Marlin, um, they actually had a, what they called the Dark Series, which were all threaded, you know, mm-hmm. tactical guns, and I got to shoot one of those in forty four Magnum, suppressed. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> it was not something you thought you needed, and then you shot it, and you and were you like, realized, oh, okay, yes, this you, makes sense. Then you realize This where, does, in fact... Where, where has this been all my life? This has a niche. Um... <laughs> But no, it it was a beautiful gun. Fit and finish was excellent. Um, the action, obviously, we didn't cycle ammo through it, but it was very, very well done. Oh wow! Well, you know, I'm a nerd for lever actions myself, and I love the new tactical lever action market that's that's come out. So we're gonna break for Fox News, I believe. You're listening to Gary on Guns on 93.9 The Eagle, and we're back. And it's Scott Van Kirk filling in for Gary Nolan here on Gary on Guns. I've got Jordan and Kelsey from Powderhorn guns and archery uh quick fun fact during the break neither one of them is familiar with the song rocky raccoon by the beatles (laughs) blank stare but since we're talking about raccoons (laughs) there was a lot you guys missed to get to that point in the conversation but but kelsey is uh, well versed and in, in some recent minor changes, are they um, minor changes? They're, so they're in, proposed changes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So MDC, the Department of Conservation, is working on legis or not legislation, but um, proposals that would extend our fur bearer season, which would include the hunting and trapping of raccoons, possums, skunks, stuff sure. like that. Obviously, coyotes we have year round, but 
it would expand for the rest of the fur bearers. No, oh, okay. Okay, that was then, and that's how we ended up with me making obscure references to Beatles songs. Correct. <laughs> Not a huge leap, just a slight. But so it's a segue. Yeah, it's a segue. Uh, on the legislative front, because you're talking about changing rules, so that'd be administrative. Because there's a board. The in- yeah, so we have the Conservation Commission, and then we have the Department of Conservation. So the department kind of overarches the law enforcement slash biology slash ecology all that kind of stuff and the commission actually sets season dates limits based on their recommendations and public input where are we because you know i love asking questions that i don't know if my guests (laughs) know the answers to or not um where are we on and i'm not sure 100 sure what they call them down here where are we on mountain lions cougars so they are technically um we have them I know, admit, yeah. Yeah, like, I've, I've seen one. It's not, it's not a secret anymore. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, so they're like other cats. If you've ever seen tomcats, like domestic cats, mm. mess with each other, they hate each other, right? So mountain lions are the exact same way. So a solid proportion of the cats we have are young male cats that are traveling, trying to find home ranges. They're getting bumped out by large females or other large males, and they're just pushing their way east. Um, we do have, I believe one confirmed breeding female so do people have pictures of females with kittens yes can that be confirmed as a missouri cat no they need dna samples on the ground like they have to actually be able to say yes this female and her kittens were right here you know what i mean that's a confirmed sighting or whatever um but yes we do have a confirmed breeding population but there, have we reached a point where they are regulating that in any way, shape, or form? There's no regulated hunting on them in Missouri. Now, if you're having issues with livestock and stuff like that, you can contact the department. Um, if you catch one actively killing livestock, that's on you. You can oh, interesting. do what you need to do. Interesting. But obviously, when things start taking livestock, it becomes more of a financial issue and stuff like that. It's a livelihood issue. Yeah. You know, it's not just, I saw it. Yeah. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I've uh, now got a, a new person to add to my list of experts when I have to have a question answered. And uh, when it comes to uh, regulations in the conservation department, <laughs> Kelsey's now my uh, now my expert. I'm just going to dial up. Uh, I will not uh, pretend I know everything, <laughs> however. Well, you certainly sound like you know quite I, a bit. Well, so I actually have a fisheries and wildlife degree. Oh. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I have a yeah. bachelor's in fisheries and wildlife. And I did work with the department um, my last semester of college on the elk project. Okay. Yeah. So I also have firsthand experience with mountain lions in southern Missouri. Okay. I don't like them. <laughs> where, <laughs> Not a big cat fan. <laughs> where are we on elk? Is that a limited hunt now? It or? is. So we've had two seasons, both very successful. Um, populations are ranging somewhere around 200 animals. It's really hard to keep track. They only have so many with collars. The collars stop working. Um, the calf collars actually are designed to fall off after a certain time frame when the calf grows out of them. But um, we've had two successful seasons, limited to five. You know, you can kill. They give out five tags every year, uh, four to the generic population, one to cooperating landowners in the area. Um, I believe once you draw a general tag, there's a 10-year hiatus. You can't put in again for 10 years. Landowners can put in every year. But the landowners down there also have elk on their property. They're allowing MDC to come in and do surveys, do food plots, that kind of stuff. So kind of as a thank you for all of that. Absolutely. And that I worked with a lot of those landowners and they were awesome people. Okay. So I'll circle back around to the reason we have a show. What does one (laughs) what does one harvest an elk with? Um many things. Ranging from archery equipment to 
Let's let's go ballistic. What do we use with the firearms so, related? I shot my first elk with a three hundred eight. Okay. Is that enough? Opinions gun? vary <laughs> yeah. whether it is or not. Um, is it dead? She was very dead. <laughs> there you go. So <laughs> I was more comfortable with that gun than it could ethically take an elk, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So ballistically speaking, three hundred eight is a relatively mid-weight bullet moving fairly slow, mm-hmm. right? Extremely accurate cartridge, and that's why I was very comfortable with it. However... It was not ethical for me to take a shot past about 400 yards as far as energy and stuff like because that. You, yeah, your terminal, right. your terminal ballistics right, would exactly. be too low at that range. But I practiced quite a bit at 600 just to make four seem fairly sure. normal, yeah. I guess. I don't know. But, or just, just to be cool. Right. Well, and <laughs> I was lucky to have it available to me. Yeah. I immediately came home and bought a 300 short mag. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I said, opinions vary. Hey. Um we don't get to elk hunt every year. Mm-hmm. I'd like to up my opportunities by having a gun that can shoot as far as I can and oh. actually kill something, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. that's my theory yeah. behind it. So much harder to get in front of them, so much more expensive to get where you right. are near mm-hmm. them that, yeah, you want your opportunities to be as, right. as best as you can. So your your opinion would be 300 short mag. I love my yeah. short mag. Is that necessary? No. no. I, absolutely not. I know people that have killed elk with 243. Now, in a lot of Western states, that is the bare minimum. You can't okay. go any lower than six millimeter, you know, as far as bullet diameter. That's Colorado, yeah. yeah. Six yeah. millimeter. Yeah. Does Missouri have a minimum? No. Or, okay. Center fire. Any center fire. Any center fire. Mm-hmm. So if I'm good enough and get close enough, I can I can take them with a 44 Magnum? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. I shot yeah. a deer with a 10 millimeter this year. Yeah, good for you. So it it's very doable. Hand, handgun or yes. carbine? Handgun. handgun. What handgun? Uh, SIG 220 Hunter. Okay. Single action only. Okay. Yeah. Now you're just bragging. I have pictures. I have pictures. She has pictures. <laughs> and we will try was, to get we'll try to get those up on the Facebook page. So, I was so, very excited about that one. So, so Kelsey can get her bragging rights. right. Right. <laughs> Did you kill anything? I, I kill nothing. I take children now. Um, I have pictures that prove otherwise. Oh, that's right. I did. Yeah. Almost every what was that? We got two years running on the first time I go for archery season Correct. i usually drill one and uh, immediately call me and then immediately call and say, out. hey i need help i'm <laughs> over here and drag this big old thing out <laughs> but uh no i didn't do any uh no gun stuff this last year we had the kids no one got successful the hunting in northern missouri is still good but because of the way the department is responding to cwd mm-hmm. getting rid of the point restrictions and things like that the deer are just not what they were um for size and maturity and we just didn't none of us saw I, mean, I, I saw one three-and-a-half-year-old deer on, like, the last day of hunting. I was like, wow, look at that. And that was the only one I saw that was – and he guys, was not what we wanted to take, but that, that was the only mature deer we saw up there. You had to fight that wind, too. It was. It was that really – first, like, four or five days. Yeah, it was a terrible wind up there. But uh, but no, I didn't. But the kids had fun. Uh, neither kid got one this year, I don't think. No, we were right, – yeah. But they're getting older. They're in high school now. They've got – 12,000 things going on. Sure. Can't do anything. picky. Yeah, Yeah, right. Start to to discover members of the opposite sex. That's right. And Mm -hmm. other activities. Never seen them again. Yeah. But driving uh, and stuff like that. Now, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, going back to that, uh, when she was talking about cartridges for elk hunting, I think the probably the one I see the most, and I've gone with a lot of different people, is probably the seven millimeter. It's just been around long enough. So those guns had been around a long time. The seven rim mag is probably what i saw the most of that's what Bri- or don always used uh he usually had a bar and a seven mag uh, i had my weatherby seven mag i used that for a long time till i bought 
a Tika and a 300 short mag just to save weight because the mm-hmm. gun was so much lighter. But uh, yeah, those were uh, the Magnum cartridges. This really seems what it is. I never shot to 600 though. No, no. I can fix that. I, yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> as I sit, as I sit across the radio table from me, and I haven't hunted anything. Um, <laughs> except for a few pest animals around my property. I haven't hunted anything since 1994, which was the same year I became a a law enforcement officer. Because as a rookie cop, you don't get off for deer season. No. God, I missed so many years (laughs) of that. uh, In fact, my first deer season as a a law enforcement officer, I remember that I was working every day, 12 to 16 hours a day, because of the more senior people who had, and they sort of over-vacationed people, and they're like, oh, hey. Uh, you know, you're working a double today. And I'm like, yeah, yes, I am, because I'm a probationary officer. <laughs> uh, and uh, the thing that I found, and I'd like to get back into it, to be honest with you, even if it was just hunting whitetail, um, and I would, and have some interest in coyotes, to be honest with you. Um, Everybody should be interested in shooting yeah. coyotes. What I discovered is, as I as I was on the job longer and longer, the longer I was away from hunting, um, uh, the harder it was to consider getting back to it. Yeah. Because you just sort of, you know, where's my stuff? It's and a lot of work. It is. You don't People realize. People don't it. know. Yeah, yeah. And if it's if you're bouncing from season to season, like if you immediately go from whitetail season to waterfowl mm-hmm. or coyote hunting or turkey hunting or you know you just mm-hmm. kind of keep in the cycle throughout the year, it really helps. But I feel like that kind of. July to August, September, most people kind of fade out of it, and then it kind of clicks in their head that, holy crap, we're here. Right. Like, it's time. Right. right. And it just sort of uh, jars people. Yeah. And I come from a family, my brothers and my dad and everybody, that we're all, I, I always hunted whitetail. Um, I think I started when I was 13, maybe. And um, we were serious deer hunters. We weren't your usual, you know typical or they, they use the you to use sort of the meme to connect it with it that you know deer camp where you you head up north and hit the bars and forget take your guns kind of thing and real serious hunters throughout the years and um the year that i stopped hunting the last year that i hunted was also the same was just was the last season before my dad died too yep. so sometimes i get i think some of that takes a, a it, i think it was a factor yeah. it did yeah. uh, my my dad passed away last march and then we had turkey season after that and it it was a it was a big factor. Even going into um, mm-hmm. take now, it, but I had kids, so I was dragging kids with me, sure. and they wanted to go. So that probably helped helped mm-hmm. me a little bit for deer season coming up and pushing because it was mm-hmm. just it was just different. It was just different. Very different. And um, um, I expressed it at the time, and I'll express it again. My condolences. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and we will be back. This is Gary on guns. I've got uh, Powderhorn Guns and Archery, Jordan and Kelsey here. And uh, you're listening to 93.9 The Eagle. And we're back. This is Scott Van Kirk filling in for uh, Gary Nolan. I've been affiliated with the show since its inception, way back when, uh, was it 10, 12 years ago, when we started it out on Monday, when Gary was the afternoon drive time guy. We had a show every other Monday called Gun Day Mondays. Yeah, I think Gary even even put together a Mama and Papa's themed theme song for that particular show. Do not play it. Um, I didn't like it back then. I'm sure I don't like it now. Uh, um, But I'm filling in for Gary. He's over in Kansas City uh, giving a speech at the state... um, Libertarian Party Convention is what I believe it is. And across the table from me, I have got Jordan and Kelsey from Powderhorn Guns and Archery. Is that a name change? No. no. It's just that Gary used to get it wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wanted to say guns and ammo. He just couldn't, guns and ammo. couldn't help it. He yeah. couldn't stand it. Because <laughs> I knew that you, you guys were, I mean arguably equally focused on the archery yes. um, yeah. stuff as you were on the on the firearms related things. Uh Give us 
address? 1915 Paris Road, Suite 103. Okay. Hours? Nine to... F- wow. <laughs> nine, nine to six through the week and ten to five on Saturdays. Okay. Closed on Sundays. Correct. Sundays only. Correct. Yep. Yep. Excellent. Okay. Look at that. Didn't mean to put you on the spot. Well, you'd think I'd know my own hours, but apparently yeah. not. I think you would argue that you're there all the time, so you well, should know the hours. I guess I was thinking five because today's Saturday. I don't it's we're there. Call. If we answer, we're there. <laughs> That's the easiest way to do it. A uh, couple of quick announcements. We'll do a little bit of housekeeping. So the Second Amendment uh, rally at the Capitol had, this year has been set for Tuesday, April 26th from 10 a.m. to noon. Uh, this is an event that's sponsored by the... Uh, Missouri for Personal Safety, Missourians for Personal Safety, uh, Gateway Civil Liberties Alliance, the Western Missouri Shooting Alliance, the Missouri Shooting, the Missouri Sports Shooting Association, and MissouriCarry.com. And that goes from 10 to noon on Tuesday, April 26th. If you're able, uh, it's a great opportunity to, to, to gather together with like-minded individuals as we, as we talk about the Second Amendment and impress upon our state legislators that it is important to us as voters. Uh, we're going to post a link to the Facebook page so you can get all the details. Um, it's been going on for years, probably 20 now at the very least, as, 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 long, as far back as I remember hearing about it. And... Um, it's an opportunity for you to meet with your legislatures. Be respectful. Um, I'd leave the Tommy Tactical Kit at home, <laughs> dressed like regular folk. Because, to be honest with you, the vast majority of us are <laughs> just regular folk. <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless, they've got some recommendations on uh, on on that particular event and some guidelines and things like that. We'll put that up at the Facebook page. Uh, and also, I received from... Uh, this is from Mona Oliver, Oliver Tim's uh, Tim's wife, over at Learn to Carry. She is the, I don't know what her title is. I think she's the secretary for MissouriCarry.com. And if I got that wrong, Mona, you can tell me later. Um, but she updates a list on the statuses of current Missouri gun bills for this session. And a number of them have recently been granted public hearings to include HB 1607, which is uh, preempts any laws or orders that would hinder the operations of a firearm business. Of interest to you guys. Mm. Um, we've got HB 1698 also scheduled for a public hearing. Changes the law regarding concealed carry of weapons by allowing firearms in churches and other places of worship with a concealed carry permit. Um, if you recall from your training, and I really hope that at the very least you do it, you got yourself went to a concealed carry course, even if you did not apply for a concealed carry permit. Uh, churches without permission of the governing body of that particular church are one of the 17 prohibited places for you to carry a concealed weapon. Uh, that changes that law in some manner. When HB 1912 is another bill, basically the same thing that someone else introduced in regard to the church issue. And, yeah, then this one I don't understand exactly. It has something to do with the Department of National Guard. How that one ended my list, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, that's a quick update on what I've seen. I don't know where we are in the legislative process. Probably next week when Chuck Basie's in here, that would be a great time for people to call in and ask for some updates on that. Um, I guess my major concern with the progress of Second Amendment issues um, after all, this is a Second Amendment show, is what the Senate is doing. I mean, are they just going to be locked up with uh, um, changing legislative boundaries 
to the point where they don't get a chance to really hear or or do any business as it relates because you know we're we have two houses we have a house we have a we have representatives and we have senators and any any legislation that we want to pass has got to pass both of them um and if one's locked up with a just a single issue i don't know where we're going with that yeah i think most bills never make it and most bills you see on lists like that for years Mm -hmm. and years unless something's just uh, what's the hot button topic of the right. day? But and even then, maybe it's two years and you can get it through there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, most of that yeah. stuff never makes it. There's so many. You, you can find so many of those lists mm-hmm. for everything, sure. whether it be agricultural, firearms, right. whatever else. Yeah, it's, introduced it's, year after year after year. Yeah, and yeah. The, the redistricting thing's probably going to go on until a court decides it. But we'll see. Yeah, well, they're, yeah they're, well, and and, <laughs> and that's and that's my thing. I mean, I, it's 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 let's have a vote and decide where it's way it's going to go and if it's got to go to the courts and let it go to the courts i think we did have a vote and then they decided to do it a different way anyway <laughs> <laughs> the governor everybody said nope we're going to go ahead and do it the way we want to do it and there's where we're at <laughs> all right um so you're listening to gary on guns on 93.9 the eagle and we'll be right back